Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn and I'm a WCT certified educator and in this podcast I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. This episode looks at two more of the Balkan states that used to be part of Yugoslavia, Montenegro and Kosovo. These are two small countries, both in terms of area and size and also wine production and whose independence has been relatively recent and not always straightforward, which does hinder the development of the wine industry, as as well as the developments of the countries. We'll start by looking at Montenegro, which means Black Mountain, but its official name is actually Schöne Gora, which also means Black Mountain, Uh, but Montenegro is the name that most people know it by, and it is on the Adriatic coast, just east of Croatia and south of Bosnia-Herzegovina, And so it does share some commonalities with those two countries. You can divide the wine regions into two. One is the coastal regions and then the other is central regions. So definitely a Mediterranean style climate on the coast, but still with a strong Mediterranean influence going inland. And in comparison to the previous episodes on Croatia, just looking at a map, you can see that Montenegro is directly southeast of Croatia in a continuation of those coastal regions. And then the central regions are more just south of Bosnia-Herzegovina, with wine regions just um, located on the other side of the border. It also borders Kosovo, which we'll look at in this episode as well, to the east. It borders Serbia and it borders Albania. After the breakup of Yugoslavia, Serbia and Montenegro was a united country, but Montenegro declared its independence in 2006, and that was officially confirmed in 2007. So it is its own country. Uh, with its own historic identity. It is applying for EU membership and it is uh, becoming a popular tourist destination, especially on the coast. So in the same way that Croatia, tourism is extremely important in that country, as mentioned in the episode on Croatia, the potential for Montenegro and its coast are quite wide. And so this does differ from Bosnia-Herzegovina, which only has 12 kilometres of uh, coast, as mentioned in that episode. And then Serbia and Kosovo, and North Macedonia, which was in the previous episode, with no coast at all. So in terms of industry attracting tourists, the coast is important, but also in terms of wine making. But whilst the coast goes inland inland in Montenegro, vineyards can be planted uh, quite high up, as as far as 600 metres. And so again, differences there between the coastal climate and going further inland with more elevation, but still getting a cooling influence from the Adriatic. There are just about over 4,500 hectares of vineyards, which are divided into the coastal zone, and then also the basin of Lake Skadar, which is a big lake further inland in Montenegro. And that has subregions called Podgorica and Šermanica, which aren't completely coastal, but just a little further inland, getting more mountainous and higher elevation and cooling influences from elevation as well as the coastal influence. There are about 380 grape growers recorded or registered in Montenegro, but the big dominant producer is called Plantage, which is owned by um, state institutions still, and it owns one of Europe's, if not Europe's largest vineyard, called Chamasco Polier, 
which is in the Shimanika region. And the vineyard is oh, 2,310 hectares, which is a pretty large vineyard, given that Montenegro has just over 4,500 hectares of plantings, and this one vineyard is 2,300. It would give you an idea of how dominant that producer is. Within Montenegro, black grape varieties dominate and represent 80% of the plantings within Montenegro, so red wine most important. These include local varieties Vranac and also Cratesia, which is Zinfandel, and Montenegro does lay claim to be the birthplace of Zinfandel, so does Croatia. Um, difficult to prove exactly where the variety originated from, but it is from these areas of Montenegro and Croatia before going to Italy as Primitivo and California as Zinfandel. There's also um, Vrenak mentioned in the Bosnian episode and also the North Macedonia episode produces deep coloured wines with really firm tannic structure and potential for age worthiness and this is the most important grape variety in Montenegro and between Vrenak and Kratogija or Zinfandel they are 70% of all the red wine of all the black grape varieties planted in the country, 80% of all the wine made in the country, so extremely important. But there are also international varieties planted too, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Grenache, Syrah, and also perhaps more unusually, Marcelin, which is a grape variety found in southwest France. But all these grape varieties are quite well suited to a fairly warm climate, to a Mediterranean climate that gets a little more continental as it goes further inland. There are some other indigenous varieties which aren't found elsewhere. Kristash, the name comes from the word krist, which means cross, and that refers to the shape of the bunches. Uh, this is a white grape variety uh, found in the south of the country in Podgorica, the region around Lake Skadar, and produces light-bodied, fresh uh, wines with green fruit aromas. Then there's Zizak, which produces full-bodied red wines. The plantings are extremely small and that big producer Plantagier, they are trying to revive these two indigenous varieties to give Montenegro more of a local identity. But also there are lots of international varieties too, such as Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Blanc and also Raccitelli, which is the great variety um, from Georgia. So there is a local culture and history to Montenegro but also these international varieties as well, which will certainly appeal to tourists visit visiting the region. And internationally, if you find Montenegro wine, it's likely to be red because it's 80% of production, but also because white wine is what is consumed locally, whereas red wines are what are exported. Maybe tourism will change that dynamic slightly. And uh, that big producer, Plantagé, actually exports two-thirds of its production to 35 different countries and given that it's such a dominant producer it is the largest exporter of wine from Montenegro. So that's Montenegro near the coast going directly inland it's Kosovo and this is a country which is recognized by over, over 100 different countries worldwide and by the United Nations but it is one which is not officially recognized by Serbia and it is still disputed. Kosovo borders Albania, and the majority, 92% of the population, is of Albanian ethnicity, which, have, which is one of the reasons why Kosovo's relationship with Serbia is a little bit contentious, different backgrounds, different ethnicity. The war over Kosovo and its identity and its independence occurred between 1998 and 1999, 
and which eventually saw um, NATO and UN intervention, which secured the territory. And Kosovo was governed by the United Nations until it declared its independence in 2008. But that was a unilateral declaration, and Serbia still does not completely recognise that, and its status is still in dispute. But it has been recognised by the European Union as a potential uh, member of the trade bloc. And there's certainly lots of potential for wine production in Kosovo because it does have a very good climate with lots of sunny days, enough rainfall during the summer to make sure that there's water for the vines. And there are vineyards at relatively high elevation of between three and 400 metres, which are um, surrounded by mountains. And so quite spectacular. And it does have a long wine history. Wine has been produced for around 2,000 years, rather like the other Balkan countries, lots and lots of history, but also lots of difficult history, so that um, the wine industry is still emerging, as is the country itself. In the 1950s, uh, the Yugoslavian government saw uh, Kosovo as having potential for wine production, but in Yugoslavia, the focus was definitely on high volume rather than high quality. And so um, during that period, the Yugoslavian government uh, developed four uh, big state-sponsored wineries. And a lot of that wine went to Belgrade, which is the capital, and used for, for blending with wines from elsewhere in Yugoslavia. But Kosovo's wine history has one wine of notable inter international interest, which is called Amzelfelder. And this was a light Swedish red wine, which was sold in Germany by a company called Bracca. And the name Anzelfelder means Blackbird Fields, and it was a Pinot Noir Gamay blend. And there were 32 million litres made of this wine in the 1980s, at a time when the vineyard plantings in Kosovo was as high as 9,000 hectares. Now it's about 3,200 hectares. So because of the collapse of Yugoslavia and because of war, vineyard plantings fallen greatly. And also the Amzelfelder blend uh, collapsed because exports were impossible during the war of 98 to 99. And it was actually replaced by a Spanish wine from Valencia called Amzelkeller, which was again marketed at the, Ger at the German uh, market. But the brand has returned. It's now called Amzelfelder Rosier, bottled in Germany and owned by a French brand called Le Grand Chez de France. So pretty large production in terms of this one brand with a very particular focus on the German market. So if you're not in Germany, you've probably never heard of this wine. If you are in Germany, you may well have done. There are now estimated around 15 wineries. So 380 growers, but 15 wineries, and again, like the other Balkan states, quite a fragmented industry in terms of growing grapes, but then very concentrated in terms of actually producing wine and selling it. And these wineries, which were owned by the state, only one of them has been sold and privatised. There has been a slow transition from communist rule and state ownership to private ownership and international investment. But there is one um, winery, which is now called Stone Castle, and that was bought by two Albanian brothers who live in the US in 2006, and they modernised uh, that winery a lot. And they own 650 hectares of vineyards, and that is the biggest exporter of Kosovo wine, uh, mainly international varieties, but also Vranak as well, a great variety which keeps occurring in these episodes about Balkan wine. 
There are some small private producers emerging. The second biggest winery is Suhareka Varari, uh, which has Italian consultants. So international investment and advice is going to be very important in the development of Kosovan wine and probably with the other countries as well. Great varieties planted in Kosovo include Franak, as mentioned, uh, Prokupak, also mentioned in previous episodes, Smedarevka, Serbian variety also mentioned before, uh, Game, uh, unusually for these countries, and also Welsh Riesling. In terms of the regions, almost all of them are to the south of the country, and Kosovo is pretty small. So on the border with North Macedonia in particular, uh, the main wine region is called Dugajini, um, that's the Albanian name, and Metohija, which is the Serbian name for the same region. And it is a little complicated because wine producers, grape growers, do have to deal with laws which are both Serb- both governed by Serbia and by Kosovo. So although we understand Kosovo as its own country today, that is still disputed and it is still precarious. And it means doing business as a grape grower or a wine producer and exporting wine is not always easy. But hopefully as the future stabilizes, Kosovo will develop its own identity and be able to um, explain its wines to domestic, neighboring and international markets. So two countries next to each other, Montenegro and Kosovo, defined by their position uh, within the former Yugoslavia and the Balkan states, developing their wine culture after a long history of winemaking and grape growing, but a difficult cultural and political history. So countries that hopefully will develop in the future and emerge into international markets. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.